Hi, this is Against Everyone with Connor Abib, a weekly podcast featuring my conversations with countercultural figures and presenting complex spiritual, philosophical, and political ideas in an engaging and fun way. Each week, I pose the questions of what it means to be human in this moment and what a better world, a more interesting world could look like. And I do that with some of the most profound thinkers and uh, the people with the most rebellious projects of our time. Artists, intellectuals, philosophers, uh, writers, occultists, and more. This week, I'm speaking with screenwriter and producer Phil Hay. Uh, Phil is part of the holy trinity of uh, filmmakers, including uh, his wife, Karen Kusama, the director, and his writing partner, Matt Manfredi. And most notably, they have created the films The Invitation, uh, the horror movie, and also, more recently, Destroyer, starring Nicole Kidman, which came out on Christmas Day of 2018. Destroyer, uh, since we talk about it a lot in the movie, is about a hard-boiled kind of cop in L.A. who had an undercover job go wrong and, as a result, has sort of spiraled out of control, affecting the people uh, in her life and who is now seeking uh, revenge and justice uh, for that moment that spiraled out of control uh, for the people that are responsible for it. It's an amazing movie, and I don't want to give away too much. You should just go see it. The Invitation is a horror movie, uh, which I summarize in the episode, but basically a couple uh, goes to revisit uh, some old friends and old relationships at a dinner party, and they find out that uh, some of those old friends have been involved in a cult, and it starts getting a little crazy from there. They're both great movies. Phil's also written... Uh, and, and collaborated with the other two on Aeon Flux, the adventure movie based on uh, the Liquid Television animated series on MTV, and uh, the Ride Along movies, and a bunch of others. Anyway, Phil and I talk about the state of movies 2019. Um, we talk about where his films fit uh, in the way things are with movies now, how people watch movies now, why genre is so important, particularly the genres of horror and crime. Um, we also talk about the ways in which cults play a major part in the American landscape, particularly here in California, and what it means to fall into the sway and clutches of cult leaders. <laughs> so we really go all over the place, uh, but it all centers around film and particularly genre film and what the state of that is in our moment in 2019. It's a great conversation, and I'm so excited to share it with you. This is the part of the intro where on other podcasts, they tell you to sign up for Audible or whatever it is, uh, or buy Alpha Brain. All fine products, I am sure. But my podcast is fully funded by Patreon, and I want to keep it that way. One, because it's hard to get ads when you're just having really deep conversations with countercultural figures on your podcast, but also because I love being grassroots supported and having that kind of relationship with my listeners. Uh, it means so much. So go to patreon.com forward slash Connor Habib, patreon.com forward slash C-O-N-N-E-R-H-A-B-I-B. Um, you can do that right now and support the show, or you can do it uh, at the end of the episode when you're like, that was a really good episode. I want to support the show. You get uh, cool stuff back uh, just for pledging. 
So you get access to a full YouTube version of every episode. You get uh, discounts on events I do. You get to be part of the Against Everyone Salon, where I meet with patrons each month online uh, live to talk about a topic, uh, T-shirts, and more. All that stuff is on the Patreon, so just go there, check it out, uh, sign up, and support this show because you love it, and I think you're awesome. All right, enough of the buttering up and down. Uh, (laughs) I am just really excited now to talk about the state of movies 2019 with Phil Hay. Here we go. everybody and hello phil hey thank hello, you for Connor. being here thanks yeah. for having me Glad yeah to be here. i'm so excited right on me too and i think let's just start i i don't usually start the show this way because i every other podcast does it and it irritates me but for <laughs> let's some reason, go right seems, for the irritation yeah, let's go right for it <laughs> <laughs> how did we meet like was it just on twitter yeah i i felt like and i don't know how your twitter feed first like came across my transom but i was like I, I just, yeah, it was just from Twitter, and I think I, I don't remember exactly, like, we I just started commenting on some of your stuff, and we had, like, a, a nice conversation, and then I think you mentioned you were, you were a fan of The Invitation, oh, which I endeared think- you to me immediately, of course, <laughs> and, uh, and then we just started having more conversations, well, and I, I think- read your one of your stories, which was so great, so oh, sort of, thank like, you. we got to just start to... Yeah, I think think that was it, because I think I had a moment where I didn't know that you had written the invitation, had I known from the beginning, like I would have, and then I saw that you didn't, I was like, holy shit, wait, you're the guy guy? that wrote that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, And... So, with Matt Manfredi, so yes, just sorry exactly. to <laughs> equally, <laughs> right, right equally. Um, okay, so now that we've gotten that very exciting, I'm sure for the listener story, though yes. <laughs> they met on Twitter, yes, you know? the way uh, you do in the modern world. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think uh, you know, I want to go sort of right into talking about genre with you. So, mm. genre is something that's come up on this show many times, but I think most prominently, I had the science fiction. Weird story writer Kelly Link on the show, mm. um, and a, and another writer Jordy Rosenberg, and the subtitle of that show was "A Vampire Is a Theory" because mm. we're talking about how these restrictions are actually theoretical, like propositions when we write something or yeah. create something. And so, you know, you've said that you're a, a you're a believer in genre, right? Yeah, and true, real believer in genre. Yeah, yeah. So talk about that for a little bit, and let's get into because you do. Di- many different, I mean, really strict genre, right? right? Whether it's Invitation or Destroyer or Ride Along or Aeon Flux. Like, yeah. there's a lot of, you know, strict genre yeah. there. I think that I and Matt and Karin as well, as a unit, all of us, the movies that really moved us when we were younger and growing up and then into young adulthood, we love all different kinds of movies. All of mm. us for, of, 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 were just movie people. But the ones that have inspired me over and over again tend to be genre movies, tend to be horror movies or science fiction movies mm. or cop movies or buddy cop movies. Or And, and I think the mm. reason for me is that they're the best vehicle for ideas to for me because mm. I think when you have... 
kind of a, an entire history and world of, for example, Destroyer, the cop movie, and what that means to people, and what the genre conventions are, and the ways that you can both underline and undermine those conventions um, for your purposes of storytelling. I, I think that, you know, for example, mm. with Destroyer, what we're always looking to do, I think, especially the Invitation Destroyer are the two best examples, so the most recent for the three of us, is invest these powerful kind of genre um, presences, you know, these these stories that, that people come back to over and over again for a reason with a kind of emotional reality mm -hmm. and an emotional truth that sometimes gets kind of washed over or maybe pushed aside or ignored. Like we want to have those scenes in our movies that are horror movies or cop movies. They all have to be genre, uh, dramas first. Mm -hmm. That's the genre. You know, in the way that everything is a genre, you know, like social realist drama is a genre right, yeah, totally. and it has its certain yeah. expectations and the awards movie is a genre and it has expectations. <laughs> and so there's all these, these, um, kind of things that exist. And we, I don't know, I think we've found so kind of, uh, just in both watching and making movies that the movies that really allow philosophical, um, things to wrestle with, to poke through, tend, tend for us to be genre movies. And they also tend to be the movies that people can return to over and over again, that can last. And like, that's what right. everyone who makes movies is, is hoping for, is to make movies that last. Yeah, and, and let me just sort of put a fine point on that. It's like, it's not, it's not that genre, I mean, at least for you, um, I would say, it's not that genre is an excuse like for the philosophy mm. and the concepts in the m movie. It's like, it's, you're like, it's kind of, in, some, in some weird way, it's like, uh, there's a really great book called The Red Hourglass by this guy, Gordon Grice. It's a nature writing book, but basically all he does is he takes two different kinds of like predatory insects and puts them in a cage together <laughs> right. and sees what yeah. happens. Like in some ways it's like that. It's like, I'm going to take these two sort of consuming you know, almost violent things. Yeah. See, see what happens when I put them together. Like, what is what would be meaningful to me if I decided to do an almost hard-boiled, you know, uh, to, like crime movie, and and then also decide like. I, I'm not saying this is your process, mm. but just from the outside and just say, okay, but Nicole Kidman's going to be in that. Like, right. what does that, yeah. what does that look like? Or what if I decide to take the most banal people in the world at a party and make them uh, horrific? You right. Know? Right. Like, yeah. It's something like that. Like what happens when I put well, these that's two together? The, totally. That's the, the, what if is to me, what it, that's what is the genre movies, horror movies, uh, specifically are all what ifs uh -huh. and so, and a what if is just a, a a a powerful what if that can be kind of extrapolated to like the the nth degree of of Im, of kind of impact and, and event uh -huh. is is interesting and i and i really agree with what you said it's not like consciously saying okay we have these you know philosophical or artistic ideas mm. let's find a tricky vehicle to put those things in they they naturally go together you know that like you know, science fiction movies, like something about human beings in the void is just a really <laughs> potent place to start. Right. right? You know, Everybody's or, trapped from the beginning. Right. right. Exactly. Yeah. There's something in a horror movie about the idea uh -huh. of nightmares and, and, uh, nightmares made real, um, is just a very potent place to start for the what if process. Yeah. And I, I think that there's like a, 
when it comes to thinking about that what if or that, it's like that's generative in the sense of you can have completely new concepts when you decide to put these disparate things mm-hmm. together, yeah. right? And I and that to me is really that to me is really exciting and fascinating about genre. It's like, um, yeah, and I guess that's why I was saying like a vampire is a theory before. It's like. I'm going to apply and put this kind of pressure on the things that are yeah, happening in the film. Exactly. Yeah. And then the, the opportunities that you have to try to put pressure on those are, are they're, they're, they're multifarious. They're like, you can put pressure on that genre by saying, you know, it's one thing to combine, okay, horror and comedy mm. or to combine science fiction and horror, which almost never, the horror and comedy thing almost it's never works. Very right? rare. It's very really rare. But difficult. when it does, it is one of my very favorite. Like what's things. an example? Okay. Well, you know, home cooking, Jennifer's body. That uh, well, Jennifer's body. Yeah. <laughs> um, the lost boys. I love the lost uh, yeah, boys. Yeah. I guess that has a, a comedic um, element. Right? American werewolf in London. Uh huh. But oh, the yeah. fact is there's Gremlins. just, not many. Yeah. 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 But there's not many of them, but, um, but you know, so it's one thing to combine those things, but, but all like what we, I think hmm. try to do sometimes is to say, well, let's combine a cop movie with a, um, mother daughter story, like uh-huh. a, with a mother daughter drama. And that's, those things can live together, but they haven't really lived together in the, in the movies. Right. Well, and I think also there's something about taking like the simple premise and then deciding to live up to it. Right. So mm. I'm thinking of it follows is an, mm. is a filmic example. It's like, well, what if something just like walked after you, yeah. you know, and it would just keep walking after you until it got you. And when it got you, you die, but it's not threatening. Like it's, it's almost like the blob. It's like, yeah, yeah in the yeah. original, it's like, well, you could run away, but it's yeah. still coming. Like the eventuality of it is, is, is on its way or like, um, there's a great novel called Desperate Characters by Paula Fox. And mm. her entire her entire premise was like, I'm just going to have a woman get bitten by a cat. And I'm just going to yeah. figure it out from there. Right. You know? That's what happens. Yes, then. exactly. Yeah. And it's a very slim novel, but it's like such a punch because mm. she's like, this is what, you know, goes on. So it's kind of just like... Um, it's kind of just the simple premise that you're trying to make the movie worthy of in some way. Yeah. And I don't know if I, – I mean, obviously, like, the movies you do are, are c- complex, but um, I, I often see that in, mm. what you, in what you're doing as well. Yeah, we try to – I mean, I think we also realize that we know the ending first. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. On, like, both, for example, Invitation to Destroyer, we definitely knew how the movies had to end before mm-hmm. we even started. And I think that's important for for us because it has to deliver on a certain. It's interesting because we we we're all both, for lack of a better term, kind of art house people, and uh-huh. also really um, popcorn people. Uh-huh. That we're just <laughs> who we are, and we like all, the, the broadest spectrum of. That's movies. the best intersection, I think. You know, and it I is because yeah. it's 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 yeah, and and it's not easy sometimes because it's much. Um, it's complicated for people sometimes, you know, like I think mm. that the culture in general wants things to be one thing. Right. It's easier. If it's like, okay, it's just this one type of thing. And now this is a different type of thing. And when right. you start mixing them up, um, some people absolutely love it. And some people are just, no, that's not my thing. So I think yeah. for us, that's the, 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 the fun in it. And I think, but it was funny going back to what you were saying about the, the, um, the blob and it follows I, I read, and I wish I could remember who wrote it. Someone had, had written sort of an essay about 
the difference between slow zombies and fast zombies, uh-huh. you know, and why that's different. <laughs> and it kind of goes to what you're saying. Like the fast zombie is a, mo- is a monster that's more conventional It's because right. it'll just, it'll just surprise you and get you. Like, it could be anything. It could be anything. Yeah. It could yeah. be, a, it could be a mountain lion. Like uh-huh. it's not any different than that. Yeah. But the slow zombie is a completely different philosophical thing. It's right. just the, <laughs> the, 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 the relentless thing that won't, stop right and it will and it's slow and that makes it scarier because it's just this wave that's right. coming upon you so um so anyway <laughs> i wish i could remember to who to properly no well maybe that. we'll find it and i'll put yeah, it in yeah. the show notes or something but yeah i mean i'm gonna say like the good thing and the bad thing about being the popcorn and art house like and on on the one hand it's like saying that saying well i'm i'm popcorn e as well there's an uh, to me that's an act of compassion almost it's mm. like well i have these ideas but these ideas are for everybody mm-hmm. they're not yeah, just yeah. for they're not just for me they're not just for people that like can endure sitting through like a five hour you know or like berlin alexander right, plots right. or something mm. like that like 15 hours like there there's something or or a lot of confusion there's something that's available there for everybody and i like when that's available for everybody i think that that's yeah. important right so there's this compassion thing but then there's also like um, there's also a way in which, uh, that communication has to be handled so well and so mm-hmm. delicately. Cause you're, it's kind of like you're talking in a lot of times to new, like a new person or a new relationship or something like that. So I saw reviews of Destroyer and not, I mean, Destroyer is, a, I think a pretty, I think it's a pretty objectively like great movie, but when Thank people you. did review it poorly, <laughs> not that you've read it, I don't yeah, know yeah, if you yeah. read it, but they they kind of stumbled on that like, wait, isn't this supposed to be like a cop movie? Like it, it seemed like there was right. that kind no, of frustration sure. with it, you know. And yeah, I just definitely. thought like you know, or like it was, take the invitation for example. If that were a French movie, uh-huh. everybody would be completely on board with it. But I think people might, if there was any resistance, it was like, oh, but this is America. They couldn't handle it right. in some way. You know? That is really interesting. No, I think that there's some of that. Or, or you really learn, you know, when, you, when people react to something you've made, you really, you learn, you learn about them. You learn what they're, <laughs> you know, like, uh-huh. and, uh, and, and, you know, and, and that has been part of every movie we've made is the, 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 they're not meant to go down easy. Uh And I don't mean that in a way to be like that. That's, that's just a fact of what we're trying to accomplish is something that hopefully hits you on a deeper level, which means a lot of people are going to be, maybe will be frustrated that it isn't, Mm. it's not a, um, uh, direct representation of what they thought they were going to see when they showed up or mm-hmm. it is, um, has things on its like, you know, and I, I think people often are frustrated. I'm not just talking about our movies, just other movies that I'm really interested in. The, some of the most interesting movies that I see come out, some people really get it and absolutely love it. And some people just kind of want it to be, less than it is mm-hmm. or don't or fight against what it wants to be and are kind of don't like to see right. the certain kind of ambition it's 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 putting out there and um hmm. and then you know i think that can be that can be gendered too i think that with um karen's journey i think sometimes there's um and for other female directors you know when people talk about the inclusion in terms of female directors uh, making more of a space, getting more of space in the world. It's sometimes 
is reduced to sort of numbers or mm. more representation in a physical sense of more percentage female, female directors making movies. But I also think it's so important to think of it in terms of making room for the female imagination uh-huh. and not kind of, and, and, and making room for the idea of ambitious female creativity that doesn't always tick the exact same boxes. Like why would it of right. a patriarchal culture, you know, <laughs> right. like it's different yeah, totally. in some way a lot of the time. And so, so anyway, it's a kind of a roundabout way of saying it's like our, our dream is to, has always been to make movies where it could be someone's favorite movie in the world, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, and even if that's just a few people and then we hope as many people like it as possible. But, um, hmm. you know, there's, there's, you know, other types of movies that we've made, which where the objective is different, you know, like with a ride along the goal, and we love working on those movies. The goal is more to appeal to as many people as possible mm-hmm. and bring people together mm-hmm. into kind of a center of that movie. And that's very satisfying as well. But kind of, we realized a while ago that in order to, you know, our, our smaller movies, we really want to, the more weird and specific and esoteric and bizarre, you make a movie while still trying to reach out to the audience. Cause I think you're right. Like it's not about like shutting people out. It's like trying to really engage the audience. Then you're going to lose some people and that's going to happen. Yeah. Okay. So let's, I want to talk about what's, change that that's become such a difficult thing for people when they go to the movies mm. um because it seems less difficult like to me Chinatown and Destroyer are very similar mm. movies in a mm. lot of ways but Chinatown was easy for to go down for people at that yeah. at the time it came out so I want to come to that in a second but I also want to talk about like what I think is probably a specific problem that you and Matt and Karen face uh, as filmmakers okay so I watched Aeon Flux the other night And it really made me think about the challenges that you and Karin and Matt must face as filmmakers because that movie is fucking great. It's, yes, it's amazing. And it was like panned, right? Oh yeah, heavily. (laughs) And it still has like a low rating. And I thought, you know, if this movie came out now, it would not be objectionable to people in the ways that it was when it came out. Like, you know, all the weird David Cronenberg, mm-hmm, David Cronenberg, yeah. like biological tech stuff, like people are on board with that more. The over the topness of the action. I mean, I think some of that would be a lot better now with the things that you have available to you as filmmakers to sure, make yeah, those yeah, scenes. Yeah. But the over the top action, the fact that it has a lot of forward motion, but doesn't really sink into the kinds of character development that were maybe demanded or something at the time. Like, there's lots of action movies like that now. So I think, you know, I don't know how you feel about it, but I just, I watched it yesterday. And oh, I right just on. thought, like, this movie is fucking great. Like, what's everybody's problem, right? And I watched the liquid television version. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, Flex, and that's, I mean, quite a challenge. Turn this, like, already sort of avant-garde cartoon into, like, a movie, right? Yeah. But, you know, I was thinking about that and I was thinking about Invitation and Destroyer and the kinds of anxieties people must have about these movies because um, because they're all a little bit ahead of their time. I mean, Destroyer seems to be 
the closest to hitting the moment as mm. possible. But like, I thought, what kinds of anxieties did the producers have that this, then the studio have that this came out on Christmas Day for fuck's sake? Uh-huh. Like, <laughs> what day of anxiety? Like, what could be a more appropriate display of anxiety than like, uh, here's the gift that you're anxious about? You know, like, yeah, right. here you go <laughs> on this day. Maybe you'll see it. Maybe you won't. Who knows? You yeah. know, like, even that read like an anxiety to me about the fact that the movie, these movies have, um, a component where, you know, I think people are sort of afraid to take them on because of that balance between genre and whatever. They don't, we're not quite in the place yet where we're willing to take genre as something other than irony, mm-hmm, like, and, mm-hmm. but less than, um, but also less than complete earnestness. So in other words, yeah, the yeah. way I would describe it is like, it's melodrama. Like, and yeah, yeah. melodramatic movies are my favorite kind. I love melodrama, right? Yeah, but too. people don't really know how to take that I think that's melodrama true. earnestly. Right. Yeah. I think that's true. And I think that like, for example, uh, the, the, the idea of a, a crime movie has to, to us, what we strive for and the great, the great crime movies that we love, they both, are very real and very realistic in their, they're kind of on the ground kind of, um, de-glamorizedness, mm. but they all, the ones that I love all do reach for the mythical too. They mm. try mm-hmm. to reach into kind of like mythological big stuff, which is also melodrama, you know, which, which, and so, and I think with our movie with destroyer, which I am so grateful for is in terms of getting it into the world, our distributor Annapurna is really a unique place in that they really are not afraid of. Mm. So I was wrong about the Christmas thing. Well, no, because, <laughs> well, it's, 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 it's an unlikely, you know, on the surface, it's an unlikely date for this particular movie, but we always joked with everybody. It's like, it's like the, it's like a good day after Christmas movie. Got it. Yeah. The weird week between Christmas and new year's, you know, <laughs> where you're just reassessing your life. And, um, but, uh, but no, but it, you know, and, and, the part of that release is is because of you know awards calendars and things like that. But I think the 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 for us what we have really what what is really valuable is when somebody like Anna Kerna is they've always got it. They really mm-hmm. and they've always seen its possibilities and um, and and that's rare because that's you know the, the you you. Um, you hope for the best. You don't know what's going to happen when you get, get into um, business with someone who's going to put your movie out. And so like, they're a very valuable cultural institution, I mm-hmm. think, because if you look at the movies that they make and put out, they're all so different from each other. They're all, um, I think very particular, you know, whether, mm-hmm. whatever your, your taste is, they're all very, um, interesting versions of, of what they are and things that don't get out there very often. Like some of my favorite movies of the year they've put out, you know, like, sorry to bother you was such a, oh, I, I haven't seen that. It's one really, worth okay, seeing. it's really right. good. So anyway, so yeah. that's, there are all these islands of some, you do find, or the people 30 West who financed us, um, they, they got it. Like they, they would be at home in this conversation and that's so valuable to find people who, uh-huh. um, are willing to try to go with you into those kind of, in between weird, uncomfortable spaces that that's true. That will be, and it's true. Like I, I don't, you know, begrudge anyone their reaction to a piece of art. It's like, you just, it's, it's so individual. Hmm. Um, and so, um, you know, we really, but when we like, 
you know, I, I, I think, you know, I wonder if people realize how, how actually nourishing it is for people who make movies or make art or make podcasts or make anything that when, when people really get it, it really, um, it's, it's very huge. nourishing. It's, it's huge. huge. And it means yeah. something. It's not, you know, I think that for self-protection, a lot of artists really try to maintain a aloof idea mm. of it. Well, I don't read anything. I don't talk to anybody, <laughs> right. but you know, most of the people I know do, they're very aware of what's out there. And, and you're it, hearing responses, whether you do yeah. that or not. Yeah. It's not, and it's so meaningful yeah. when someone really, really gets it. Um, yeah. Well, I think it's like that again is like, it, it's a relate. I mean, when you make art, it's a relational thing. So mm-hmm. like hearing someone say, you know, maybe this wasn't the easiest movie in the world, but uh, I did. I decided I wanted to sit with it anyway, and guess what? I loved it. You know, yeah. like I'm trying to imagine people who love like First Reformed, which came out this year, right? It's a difficult yeah. fucking yeah, movie. Yeah, I right? loved it. I loved people it too. Like it's us. it's yeah. One of, yeah, but but also thinking about the fact that a lot of people actually loved that movie mm-hmm. had they decide to like make the right. effort to see it, For and sure. it does take a little bit of effort to contend with that movie, and I think that. Um, I think that just hearing that, it's like hearing from your partner, like, well, I was anxious about this, but I decided to get over my anxiety to be there for you. Or right. I was, and that, you know, it's like, that's hearing, really connecting. To yeah, hear that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like hearing that someone has decided to overcome to be, and, yeah. and in some ways that's so much more gratifying than, well, yeah. I mean, well, there's also so, something so gratifying about like just going out and having fun, but like, yeah. you now you have those friends that you just like go to a bar with or go out and yeah, have yeah. fun with. And then you have the friends that you sit and talk with. Right. So it's so much closer, you know? I yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. We want to be the movie you sit and talk. <laughs> <laughs> That's a horrible, like that. But also have a couple so, like, yeah. also have a couple yeah, beers. No, I- we're just having fun. <laughs> totally. And maybe afterwards, who knows? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, so let's get back to the Chinatown thing that oh, I yeah. brought up before. Okay, so because there is, like, it seems to me that there's more of a difficulty of engaging and doing that effort for some reason. And and I, I don't know if that's changing now again, where people are being a little bit more accepting of something, some things that are more complicated. Mm-hmm. But there was like a... a it's not because people are stupider. Like uh, that's too. That's a yeah, dumb. No. That's a dumb. That itself is stupid. Like I don't think that that's what it is. But when I think about the kinds of movies that people are able to take in and embrace and go see and talk about popularly, that seems to have changed. And I know one of the theories about that is the it's like the mid budget movie mm, um, theory right. that there just aren't that many mid budget yeah, movies coming out. That's true. Um, yeah. Although you're seeing. Like invitation, especially must have been mid budget, right? No, it was super low budget. Oh, it was low budget. Was, uh, oh, okay, a million dollars. Oh wow, so that's really, really low budget. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, uh, so I guess that it's maybe uh, so. There's that economic factor. Actually, mm-hmm. could you talk about that a little bit in case people don't know what I'm yeah, talking sure. about? Yeah, sure. And then maybe, and then yeah, of course, go into what your own sort of idea is yeah. about it. Well, I think that like um, in a nutshell, what we've experienced for the last. You know, we've been now writing, Matt and I and Karin, writing, directing, making movies for over 20 years. And I think what's happened is, and it's been written about a lot, is that there's been a, a bifurcation of kind of really small independent movies and then really big kind of IP-based, you know, superhero movies, um, things that are based on comic books, things that are, you know, like uh-huh. uh, massive, massive, massive movies and kind of, and really small movies. And and some of the genres that used to be very um, consistently um, 
popular and good, you know, kind of stalwarts of Hollywood, like the romantic comedy, for example, or the adult thriller that are made for 20 to 40 million dollars, that kind of budget range has kind of been hollowed out. Mm -hmm. Like there's, uh, um, everything's been pushed one way or the other. So I think that does have an effect in terms of, you know, kind of, uh, and what gets made. And I think what's interesting now is you're, you're, you know, a lot of the movies that a studio would have made in the seventies or eighties, a cop movie, a, you know, a, a sort of a family drama on the, on the lines of, you know, some of the most actually most successful movies of their time, like on golden pond or, uh -huh. um, or, or love story or, um, uh, you know, movies that are basically would not, they would not be studio movies today unless there was a kind of a real, you know, surprise alchemy of, you know, when a star is born happens, that's a great right. example of a movie right. there. There should be a star is born every year. That should be a, you know, but there isn't, it's a very rare occurrence when one of those gets together. Right. And, and just to interject on that, like part of that happened because of a failure, right? Because it was, as far as I know, like originally, and what a disaster, Clint Eastwood was going to direct it and Beyonce was going to be the actor oh. playing Lady Gaga's character, which both those things would have been... Uh, I, was not a, I was not aware of that. Horrible. But the idea of something like that falling through, but still being like, yeah, but we got to do this somehow. Mm -hmm. And then it lights on the right people. So what you're talking about is like this weird, like circumstances sometimes happen through the failure of what would have been the bad circumstances too. Well, know? yeah. I mean, so many things have to go right for any movie to get made, especially a big yeah. movie. And so there's so many ways to fall off the path. Um, and, and, and it's a miracle that any of them get made basically. Uh -huh. But, but, you know, so I think that in terms of what we were talking about, I think there are, there are audiences for everything. And I mean, I think that's what's interesting, but it's, it's trying to find those people and trying to, and I think maybe also part of the perceptive, the change in perception is that there's so much input now from the outside. Like, you know, even, you know, for example, when we started our very first movie, Crazy Beautiful, was in 2001. And it still was, if you got reviews, for example, you, there was no Twitter, there was no kind of, there was no Facebook, there were, you know. Mm -hmm. And so you got a packet of written reviews. They photocopied and they'd hand them to uh -huh. you. Here's the reviews. <laughs> uh -huh. And there'd be a cover sheet maybe that said, you know, uh, positive, mixed, negative, positive, mixed, you know. And, um, so you, you just the, the level of con contact that one could have with, you know, different people's opinions and uh, was, was just kind of less, um, constant right. if you chose it to be, you right. know, you can cho choose to kind of wall yourself off in different ways. But anyway, I think, I wonder if it's any different if 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 you're just kind of hearing from a lot of people that you might not have heard from back in those days. Uh huh. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. it's it's hard to deny also that like you know a lot of those movies um, that were much more esoteric were box office smashes and were right. uh, so. Yeah. So that's that's the question because I think something that's happening now. Uh, this is just a guess, but like when I think about. Uh, how porn works now and like the, the sort of uh, erosion of studios making it when you have like a people going online and looking at porn they're always presented 
are very often presented with multiple options at the same mm-hmm. time. And so what's weirdly happened is people think that everybody's desires are getting more specific and just aimed toward the exact thing and what mm-hmm. they want. Well, it's true that they can find that, but they can find that by virtue of having the ability to go through to multiple options and uh-huh. seeing a lot of stuff presented. And it's the same thing with music to some extent now right, too. Right. But with movies in the theater, you really couldn't do that at all for a long time. Right. But now that's starting to sort of happen again with all these streaming services where right. it's like, you did you sample. like this? You might yeah, like yeah. this. Did yeah. you like this? And even now when you go onto Netflix, it like plays the trailer. It's kind of annoying actually. It like plays the trailer automatically right, right. when you're like scrolling yeah. through. And so I think maybe there's something about that too that's like there was no like the the way of flow when you went to the movie theater i remember going i'm sure you do too when you're a kid and like you would look and you'd be like oh let you go to the movies at eight o'clock and just hope and see what was there one. yeah yeah and you'd be like i guess we'll go see this yeah, and you'd definitely. agree on it you know and the so, star six is playing yeah right fantastic <laughs> <laughs> that was the sea monster one that's yeah. right oh i remember that one <laughs> Yeah, there was a guy in it that I thought was hot, so I watched it like a hundred yeah, times sure. on cable after it came out. But, the, <laughs> but like, uh, there was like, uh, yeah, there was like the well, it's not the marquee when you go in and they show the things, yeah, the, right? Yeah. What the inner marquee, the whatever. tote board. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then I mean, and so that was a sort of rudimentary version of what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. Like you'd be presented with a bunch of options at once, and then you'd hear about the options as you zoned in on the thing. And then you you'd want. have a whole experience, which is what I, you know, whatever your uh, choice was. Uh-huh. And, 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 and that <laughs> is something I love about, about movies. And I uh-huh. realize I always will love about movies is, um, you know, I like a great TV show as much as the next person, but there is something different in kind about mm-hmm. a movie that in two hours you have a complete experience that mm-hmm. if it's really, really great, you can carry that with you the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. You know, you can, it, it, it doesn't require, um, 20 hours or 40 hours or mm-hmm. 50 hours of, of your kind of attention. And it's just inherently going to be attention in a different way. Like that's really valuable. But I also think mm-hmm. it's so valuable, you know, yeah. to have the experience, whether it's at home or in the movie theater, especially if it's in the movie theater, cause you're with other people. It's a specific night. It's a specific, you know, time of your life that, you know, I can remember some of, you know, when I went, with Matt to see the matrix on the Friday Mm -hmm. afternoon in Westwood when it came out and we had no idea what it was. I mean, we knew kind of what it was was science fiction movie with Keanu Reeves Uh and it looked, the trailer was really great, but you know, sitting in that theater and there were a lot of people there. So already I was like, okay, this something's happening here. And then halfway through the movie, I like leaning over to Matt and saying like, I think this is one of the best movies I've ever seen. <laughs> and he was like, me too. And that's incredible, you know, like to be surprised in that way. You know, That's so funny because I was actually going to bring up The Matrix before as a movie that didn't handle the genre art communication well. That was uh, like cramming ideas into a movie. But I also think like... How I, dare you? When I saw it, I was blown, <laughs> when I saw yeah. it, I was blown away. Yeah. I think in retrospect, I have some trouble dealing with that. But I also think like... Yes, that is what you want. Like even now, a lot of times when I see a trailer, if I see about two seconds of it and I like, I'm like, I don't want to watch anymore. I routine that. And I think what you're talking about, it really is baked into, um, why people might be able, might've been able to go see, you know, I keep bringing up Chinatown. Yeah. Well, it's one of the greatest movies. And and it's a hard movie. You know, it's like, and so when you would, you would go and see, you would go and see it and you would say, 
I'm casting myself into this movie. I'm no pun intended. I'm casting myself into this movie. I'm sitting here. I'm going to watch it happen. And like you said, it's a limited amount of time. You know when it's going to stop and start essentially. So even if you think you don't like it or you're a little uncomfortable, you give yourself time to endure. Right. And not being able to have the specificity of knowing everything about the movie before you go. That's why people spend like three hours searching for something online to watch, you know, um, and like I said, I think that's changing a little bit, but you'd spend forever like trying to find the perfect thing, like as if the relationship's going to be great to start with, Yeah, yeah. you know? And so I, yeah, so there's that, there's that sort of endurance thing, but I also think like I want, like when I go to a movie and I don't like it, you know, I will go with like my boyfriend and we'll see a movie and he'll really like it and I won't and he'll and and I'll say, "Oh yeah," and I'll start talking about it. Be like, "Oh, you're so negative about the movie." And I think that that for me is something I wish that audiences would maybe develop too is like I still like watching the movie. Right, right. I like not liking the movie, not because I'm snarky, but because no, it offers neg- you something to think about. Exactly. Yeah. I like my thoughts about a movie that I don't like. You know, like that's interesting. Yeah. Whereas then- a movie that I truly think is great it does something more than have me just think about it. Like it, 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 it surpasses my thoughts in mm. a way. You yeah. Know? That's so interesting. Cause I think it's like the, the, it, it's like this very like postmodern thinking of like in, in some ways yeah. without the snarky part, which is like right. the, that, you know, you can get pleasure out of a viewing experience in so many different ways. And one of them is to like wrestle with a movie uh-huh. that feels on the edge or feels like slightly out of control to you or feels like it's clashing within moments to you of something you like, something you don't like, like that can be really, I've found some movies that, you know, uh, that I love, which that, that is part of the experience Mm. of really like wrestling with it and, and finding it not this like kind of, um, perfect kind of, uh, impenetrable thing Mm -hmm. where you just kind of, Yep, I saw that and I recognize its greatness. That sometimes can be inspiring too, but it can also be inspiring to see something very specific and very esoteric mm. that has, um, you know, that, that, that where you go, you have a, an emotional experience with it while you're doing it. And if you don't shut that off, maybe you get somewhere. So isn't it weird then that we're talking about this and you would think that in some ways then that people who love horror movies would be the best positioned to be evaluative of other films mm. because you go to a horror movie to feel uncomfortable. Yeah. Like you, right. Right. You, you literally do. go yes. to have a sort of a, an enjoyable, unpleasant experience. Yeah. Right? right. But then I think that there, and, and so I want, because I love horror so much to like applaud the horror movie audiences and say, see, you're the ones that know more about movies than anybody else. But in fact, it's often not true that people who go see horror movies like are also going to see like really difficult, you know, <laughs> challenging, maybe, challenging movies. Maybe they're being yeah. prepared for it though. I don't, yeah, yeah. I don't know, but it seems like, you know, there should be some kind of crossover there, but yeah. That, yeah. Well, the idea that, that it's not like, and it is counter kind of countercultural to say it this way. Cause there's a whole industry of trying to do, make people feel good at the end of a movie. Right. But there's different ways to feel huh. good at the end of the movie. And I think in a horror movie is a great <laughs> example of, you know, you're looking for a catharsis. You're looking for a feeling of that, that feeling of relief when you leave a story that is intense or very tense, makes your body tense. You have a feeling of relief when you leave it and hopefully have something to think about and chew on. And so I think that that is, 
it's a good thing to bring up to to in, in, to, to kind of underline that at least for me like mm. sometimes I'm looking from a movie like like anybody sometimes I'm looking to laugh and I just really want to go see a great comedy mm. sometimes I'm looking for something else a lot of times I'm looking to be inspired or I'm looking to feel um, some connection with you know mortality and life and you know like to because I think the the what movies are so amazing at are connecting you with the big stuff and the big scary stuff and the human thing. And so like if I often my reaction when I leave a quote depressing movie, if it's a good movie Uh is I don't feel depressed. I feel like I want to go hug my loved ones and I want to be close to people and I want to, um, you know, I understand that life is precious, you know, like all, all those Mm. things, like those are good feelings that can happen after the movie, if it's something that, you know, scratches up uncomfortable stuff, you know, and I think, yeah, well, I'm thinking about a star is born actually. Like I'm thinking it's funny because this is the second episode of the show that this is, that movie has come up on. So Mm -hmm. I, I love, I loved it so much. And, but part of me was, you know, but I'm thinking about how sad it was, like where it landed in such a devastating yeah. place. And I mean, obviously, it's a melodramatic movie. It's supposed to be melodrama, you and it know? does it. So, but it does it, and it does it so well, so, like so perfectly. You feel you you're you're able to feel everything. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. They really met. They yeah. really corral you exactly yeah, yeah. right. So you know. But when I, you know, everybody in the theater was crying. Yeah. Everybody. And at the at the end of it, the first time I saw it. And, um, and then we all kind of like talk to each other afterwards, like the strangers, like yeah. we all sort of like, Oh God, like we're and all that's just so sort of great. Like, right. Yeah. That's so like... interesting that, that, that sadness created like a connection between us. You yeah, know? yeah. So there's a way in which too, I'm thinking the happy ending is the connectivity, you know, or like, let's take something that like, so I love Melancholia, the Lars von Trier movie. And, uh-huh. you know, I think seeing it in a theater is really instrumental. But I, that movie's not going to make me want to talk to people right after the film. It's overwhelming. Yeah, yeah. But you then, want to go sit with it for a minute. Sure. But then there's certainly something about the people who are also simultaneously, like, similarly overwhelmed to the movie that is, like, connective, you know? And not just in the way of, like, well, when we both like the same kinds of yeah. art, you know, that, you know, that's great. We can have a conversation about it. I think that there's some something special about about being connected to that kind of intense, awful experience. Uh, yeah. You know? yeah. Like, can I tell you a story that just flashed to my head of like when I saw um, Dancer in the Dark, uh-huh. which is an amazing movie and really freaking sad at the uh-huh. end. <laughs> it, uh, I saw it in, um, I think it was that theater on La Brea that now is not a movie theater anymore, but it's like does events or whatever. I'm just talking about specifically remember, remembering where you were when you saw a movie. And the movie ended and you could hear, it was like a pretty full house. You could hear people crying and you could really Uh hear sniffles and then actually people crying, but no one was leaving. Like it was that wonderful (laughs) thing where people really were sitting there watching the credits roll (laughs) Uh just because they didn't want to leave that space yet. Like it wasn't, Mm. you know, and I I was like, I just want to sit here and just like deal with it for a minute. Mm. And so the credits are rolling and the music's playing. And then at some point... Uh, deep into the credits, the theater, I guess, decided they'd had enough <laughs> and bring the lights up as wow. the music from the, the rolling over the cre- credits is replaced by who let the dogs out. Like they, just, <laughs> they just put like whatever, you know, like satellite oh, system, no. or I guess it wouldn't be a satellite at that point, like whatever, like 
<laughs> service that they had bought to like play the music. That oh Putin, my gosh. It was just like, That's who let incredible. the dogs out? And it was great because it was pretty cathartic. Did everybody people, start laughing? Yeah, yeah. People started That's laughing. That's really and, funny. Like, Wait, do you know, I actually, um, you're reminding me now of seeing the Blair Witch Project in the theater at this little theater in Pennsylvania. And you remember there was a little window of time when everybody thought that the Blair Witch Project was real because there wasn't right, there a lot was of, a moment found of footage, yeah. you know, movies Which back then. Which in today's world is it would, would be, be impossible. It would be impossible, yeah. right? You can't even you you can't even see something on the street and think it's real now. And it's you like, can also feel yeah, like it's so true. Like and with Blair Witch, you could think. You could kind of have the pleasure of knowing it wasn't real, but you could get yourself right. far enough down the line to be like both things, like both knowing it's not real, but actually yeah. kind of thinking it's real. Well, I think we all actually thought, well, th- this is the story. So it's like we, you know, like it was, there was the marketing campaign that was about missing people. And then there was like fake news. Was mm-hmm. called fake yeah, news yeah. Now that was a marketing campaign about the movie. So went to see the movie and when it was over, Everybody sat in silence. Nobody, there was no sounds. Everybody sat in silence until the credits were completely up, and then everybody got up and left. Yeah. Complete silence. You yeah. could have hear, heard a pin drop, and it was as if everybody had been traumatized yeah, by yeah. what had happened. And what a bizarre, what a bizarre way to bring people together. Right. Like, right. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm going to scare you into like paralysis almost. Right. And you're all going to be in it together. And then, you know, whatever. Good luck. Good luck to you. <laughs> but I think like I keep pulling it back to horror because I know it's something that I really love that you really love and appreciate yeah. and create as well. Now I want to talk about that. I want to talk about the invitation specifically mm. for a bit now because there's uh, there's something about it, like I was saying before, the banality of people mm. in that movie that that's truly horrible. So, if you've ever seen Krisha, you know that movie. Oh yeah, Krisha? yeah. That's a it's Remarkable. a it's a drama yeah. that's directed as a horror film. Yeah, right. right? Exactly. And this it plays is, just like a horror film. Like yes, a really it, good horror film. Totally. And 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 this and the invitation is like a. It's like a horror film that plays like a really uncomfortable drama at first. Yeah, yeah. You know. Right. No, and, and, and the thing is, like, you watch the people, they're in, in, in a lot of ways, to me as a viewer, insufferably annoying, because I live in L.A., I know that party, it uh-huh. would drive me fucking crazy <laughs> to be there, like, I would lose my, I would lose my mind, even though I like some of the characters, yeah. just, but parties annoy the fuck out of me, so... Um, We've definitely had responses from people where they're like, it really did capture... Like, forget about the cult and everything. Right. It really did capture the horror of a dinner party. Right. I mean, yeah, just right. being totally. at a dinner party. No, totally. That's how, I, that's how I felt. But then also, like, the dinner party thing that is, like, cultish on its own. And like, I love all those people, by the way. Yeah, yeah. All those characters I love. Uh, well, of course really you like. do. I mean, you should... I think you should probably love, like, yeah. the most despicable character you write, right? Yeah, like, you need to in some to, way. Right? Yeah. So, but, I, but I, I'm sort of wondering then, like, this idea of the horror of process... And we can link that to mm. Destroyer in a little bit too. Like, you know, there's a, this is a movie about people who are processing grief. Right. And as you can see, especially in California, like deciding to try to process grief or pain or suffering in certain ways can be as damaging and as horrible right. as the, the, the suffering itself. You yeah. Know? Well, I think that that's a really succinct way of kind of saying what was on our mind when we were conceiving of the movie and making it was trying to look at it in many different ways about how that there, there's and that the 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 greatest danger mm. 
is not processing it at all and to try mm. to wall it off and compartmentalize. Like we tried to, you know, it was just part of that story always that everyone would have a sort of different approach to grief that Will, the lead character, was um, actively engaged in grief, but it was not a, um, it was not a healing process for him. Yeah, it was just mm -hmm. an open wound that he kept revisiting, but he was at least engaged in it. And so the most horrifying thing to him would be to see his wife, who he shares the specific trauma with, um, have, having seemingly moved on mm -hmm. and having seemingly said, I'm done with that right. thing that you will be doing forever, I think. And so, and, and, and of course that that's not possible, that she's found a way to mm. pretend that she's healed. Um, and that's what this whole group is about is offering people this kind of pretend way to, to not feel what you're, what, what would help you actually, right. you know, move on as a human being. Well, and so I'm, I'm glad you're saying that and in some ways I'm like, I, I don't want you to say that because <laughs> as a viewer, because like for me it was like, well, what if these people had gotten over it? Like, obviously what was the, what was the, uh, his ex-wife's name again? The uh, Eden. Eden. Yeah. That's right. Like in some ways Eden, having um and and for people who haven't seen the movie sorry we're spoiling yeah. it for you but uh just go watch it's, it's an it's an excellent movie and i hoping we're seeing enough sort of plot points yeah. or maybe i just should it's like okay so the invitation is you know this couple goes back to the guy's ex-wife's house after their child has died um to a dinner party where they all reunite and then things start getting stranger and stranger from there and the uh the ex-wife and her new partner reveal that they've gone to this sort of like self-help retreat center and that it all, it starts spiraling from there. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Good. Really right. nice summary. Yeah. Okay. Good. Thank so, you, <laughs> so, so the, um, so the idea though, that they, that they would have processed, that they would have moved on, even though Eden obviously hadn't, there was a lot of struggle there, but that the other people, um, Pruitt and, um, whoever and Sadie and Sadie had, um, that they had gone through and they had processed their grief or process. Yeah. There is something, uh, if you do that, that seems inhuman to us. And so there's a tension there for me. That's why I was saying I'm kind yes, of like, yeah, yeah. it's like, well, yeah, like, but, uh, like I don't, it, if you get over it, who am I? You that's know? right. Yeah. No, well, that's exactly. And I think those two things actually are, are reconcilable because uh -huh. I think Good. there are people <laughs> in that group who, um, for on whatever for whatever reason like what we were interested in exploring is like is for a while what if they're actually right isn't that more horrifying uh -huh. if you can just compartmentalize mm -hmm. to such a degree that there's something inhuman about it right that if you but it would be mm -hmm. a success mm -hmm. you know and in, and in a way it's who's to say it's funny when we talked uh, john carroll lynch who plays pruitt um whenever we talked to him about the character he his bottom line was, oh, he believes completely. Mm -hmm. And it is what he says. Like, whether he's, um, you know, sociopathic or, or not, mm. he believes everything he says about his healing and about his process and about his self-forgiveness and about everything. It's mm. not a scam. It's real. And he is, um, by the end of the movie, you're seeing a person who is realizing how wrong the whole thing was in a, in a weird way. Right. right so, yeah. and that's sort of, um, so anyway, I think those things coexist because I think there is a spectrum there of like, it, it's, um, 
you know, there's not dealing with it. There's dealing with it in a really mm-hmm. unhealthy manner. And there's lots of unhealthy ways to deal with trauma. Um, and then there's dealing with it in a way that is healthy or is maybe on the road to healthy. And then there's a way to appear to have solved the problem that we're saying <laughs> right. doesn't really solve right. there's the a problem. Whole, there's a whole spectrum. Well, so, okay, let me try and stumble through this sure. real, real quickly. Something that you're making me think of. So it's like, it, so, you know, there's the cult, cults are in both destroyer in some way yeah. and, and, and the invitation, but in some ways the cult, the problem is not the cult that promises you that they'll make you happy and then, but they're, you're really deluded. It's that they actually do make you happy and nobody right. wants that. They and do so, offer something. <laughs> right. And yeah. so like the way I'm relating that in my own life is like, you know, when I turned 39 and I was like, I've never learned how to manage money. I had mm. no idea how to deal with money ever. Nobody ever taught me. I was just scraping by my whole life. And I was like, I got to get this in order. And so I was like, okay, who has this in order? Fuck those like abundance mind people. Right. right? And I hate them. They're so annoying. And then I did the things that they said and it worked. Huh. And I was like, I fucking hate that this is true. That it really so, is in, working. In, yeah. in, so, in some ways, right? And and I'm not making a universal claim that it always works for everybody right, or whatever. Right. I've talked about this before on the show, but it was shocking to me that, that it worked. So then when I think about the sort of pool into cults, it's like the complete or, or any sort of self-help or new age thing, the complete resistance to the idea that I could or should be happy mm. in one way or another that's coming from somewhere. And I don't think it's bad necessarily to have that resistance, but also there's something, uh, there's a problem about the resistance to being indoctrinated into a cult at the same weird uh, right, time. Like right. what that's actually telling you something about yourself. That doesn't mean go join a cult. It just means investigate like that aspect of yourself yeah. somehow. Cause you're in a cult already. If you believe that. Right. Yeah. Right. That's so interesting. <laughs> well, that's the thing. They wouldn't work. Like, we talked about this a lot in, in, especially in the case of the invitation, the cults wouldn't work if they didn't offer something, right? right. You know, like yeah. they do, uh, and and it's where that line ends up getting crossed, where it's detrimental uh, or destructive. But um, but yeah, it's 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 they, there's obviously an appeal, or there's obviously a something consistent is that we talked about between destroyer and invitation. Destroyer, mm-hmm. it's not a quote, it's not a capital C cult, but it's mm-hmm. a cult like experience that this kind of uh, <laughs> desert gang guru is is putting them through um the thing that's in common is people who are the, the leadership being very attuned to how they can exploit someone's weakness uh-huh. and what how they can fill a hole in a seemingly very compelling way by you know in silas the gang leader and destroyer we always talked about that we never wanted him to be some kind of mastermind kind of, um, right. uh, 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 spookily, you know, um, genius criminal that he's really a, 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 a brutal petty criminal who has one very specific gift. And that is he can see, he can really look mm-hmm. into people and tell them who they are in his eyes and in their eyes. And yeah. it's really compelling to yeah. be seen and, and to be understood. Yeah, and so interestingly, in both those movies with Silas and Dr. Joseph, was yeah. that the, in the invitation, the, they were both kind of vague in a weird yeah. way. Like, they're not specific characters. Like, you get little bits of yeah, them. Yeah. And so you, as an audience, 
you know the view the viewer is sort of forced into in some ways the position of the person that joins their group which is oh, i'm going to project a lot onto you like yeah that's I'm really be like filling in the blanks for that, all the yeah. vagueness there yeah with whatever i am by looking upon you like it's like getting a doll without a face like right. imagining the face all the time you and know? then the connection and the compelling it's true i think that in some ways a lot of ways those kind of people maintain their power is through mystery. Yes. And so if the mystery right. of them is exposed completely, they lose some power. And so it's in their best interest to stay mm-hmm. both above and really close. And so that when they offer <laughs> right. you their attention, it's very powerful. You know, when they choose you to talk to right. of this group, then it's your, Oh, you know, like you're suddenly um, in the, in the spotlight. Uh huh, and they're very specific. Like, there's the conversation that um, Silas has with uh, Aaron, right? And it's very specific. He says very specific Mm -hmm. statements, and yet they also add amount to nothing. Like, they come from a place of complete certitude, but relate to nothing in particular. Yes, you know, and I think that that's also a very powerful thing to do to manipulate people because it forces them to take on the certainty. But like the, the, it's it, yeah, it's a it's a creation of authority, but without really giving anything of value, right. you know. Yeah, it's it's opening a door. Yeah, for sure. So I I think with Silas and that campfire scene, what we always talked about is it's that he's able to. Um, you're right. It's a combination of kind of a a pronouncement that comes from on high that shows his power. The point is to show his power for mm-hmm. him. Uh, but that there's truth to it, that he has actually interpreted something about her. And part of it is the need to be seen and recognized. Uh-huh. And so it all does feed on itself that like what, mm-hmm. she, what he's perceived in her is this need to, um, be powerful and to her to be powerful is to be, to be not disregarded and not thrown away, which is what her childhood was. Right. So I think, right. um, you know, it's that funny thing where someone who he, he does have, we always meant him to have this sort of very specific ability to kind of get a certain kind of damaged person and feed that back to them in a way that makes them feel understood uh, and lures them in. But it also is applicable to so many people. Like he could say that to many people mm-hmm. and they would find their way into it. They would find their, because of course they all have something in common that people that would join him, um, they're not there because they're healthy. Yeah. Including the cops who are in there with him. Uh-huh. You know? <laughs> I mean, I find it like even it's hard for me to resist doing that kind of thing, even just having an audience at all, like to present, you know, I, I, I do do it because I think it's powerful and actually effective and useful in some ways that aren't culty, which is to present someone a question or a statement that's filled with certitude. Mm. Like, so if I were just looking at you right now and I was like, um, you know, like, uh, and I just, and I just said, Phil, you're always in your own way. The obstacle that's in front of you right now is within you. What is it? Get out of your own way. Like if I said something like that with total certainty, you'd be like, whoa, that's the obstacle. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Right. And so it's a vague statement, but I would, I mean, I wouldn't yeah. say, I wouldn't say that irresponsibly to somebody. Maybe I would say that to someone that I actually saw it. In. Right, right, right. But I think that that's the sort of cultic thing is like, I'm going to just come up with these statements that actually I'm not relating to the person, but I'm forcing them to relate to yeah. me. You know, it's funny. It's like, seems related to, um, a certain type of like a, a psychic reading. Or, yeah. Right. Yeah, it's yeah, like, totally. 
you know, the, the talent of giving someone enough doors and being sensitive enough to see which of those doors they walk through. And then you follow them uh-huh. through that door and close the door and then really give them the speech or whatever, you know, like, yeah. um, that's really, that's, that's really interesting. Well, and it's also in a way how, and uh, you know, obviously like anybody who's listening to this knows that I have a great deal of involvement and respect for occult stuff. Oh, yeah, so I'm yeah. not like de- de- demeaning it by saying it. It's also in a way how some people read tarot cards. It's like you put mm-hmm. the thing down and you're like, Oh my gosh, the 10 of swords or the five of pentacles or whatever. Like if you see the meaning or see what's on the card, it can be so striking to you because there's nothing to argue with. It's just an image. And now right. you're like, okay, so how do I, accept this or, or not accept it. So I think that there's like, it's like that, like, you know, someone's presenting you with, you know, it's not a, it's, it's more certain than a Rorschach. Like mm-hmm. you don't know that you're engaging with it you yeah, know, yeah. Uh, in the same way, uh, but it forces, it's, it's, it's an act of force in some way. Yeah. Well, yeah. and it's also funny. It's like the way, you know, to speak of, you know, the cult and, and, and such, it's like, there's the, you know, there's the difference between, you know, uh, 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 a true, like a whole practitioner. And then the way, like the way a cult leader, there could right. be a cult yeah. leader who is using the trappings of something to get what they're after, as opposed to someone who is, you know, deeply enmeshed in whatever that, that talent right. belief, you know, connection is, you know? And a lot of times there's a blend between those two yeah. things. Like I think Joseph Smith is a really good example of someone who had a lot of really serious, uh, uh, cult spiritual wisdom, but because he was the kind of person who was also very often manipulative and had sort of a mm. dirty kind of lens uh-huh. that the light came through in the wrong way. Yeah. You know, so it's not your your ego's not eliminated or well, I don't think we should eliminate our egos, but your but your bad the bad aspects of your ego aren't eliminated yeah, yeah. just because you have spiritual wisdom. Right. That's you know, point. so maybe Silas was like yeah. a great spiritual leader who he, was just an asshole. Right. You know? no, no, right. Yeah. Like that light <laughs> that there was some light in him that if it was the lens was different could have come out in a better way. But yeah. He's limited by his cravenness and his, you know, cruelty. And that's an amplification of Nicole Kidman's character in that movie, right? Mm-hmm. Because she, she, there is a light in her. She yeah. is kind of, no, but, for sure. but she, but at some point she sort of bounces it off the wrong mirror or something like that, yeah. you know? And so I think that that's, you know, the, I also want to say that like cults and California really go they together really go together well. <laughs> it's so true isn't that weird and and you even see like because the general atmosphere of california especially la and san francisco but to a you know a lesser extent sacramento palm springs mm-hmm. the general atmosphere in california is one of cults yeah like it it, it whether it's crossfit yeah. or going to Erwan and getting like you right, know, right, your, right. your organic food whether it's uh the sort of networking cult of power of mm-hmm. directors and producers right, right. like you, like, uh, oh. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> um, or like, but whatever, like it, it it's a, it's yeah. a culture of cults, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, I wonder if it's too, that like, I think that's true. And I think that, you know, again, part of it comes from a good thing, which is the mm. idea of a frontier, you know, huh. where new ideas are okay. And where, you know, you're, you, you can create your own, mythos if you want to, or you can create your recreate yourself in mm-hmm. a different guise and you're not kind of maybe tied to, you know, the, the old fashioned as tightly as a, as a society, you know, obviously there's every mm-hmm. different kind of person in every different kind of place, but, but there is something about that we talked about a lot with the invitation is that, that, 
um, there are so many cults and there are so many, and just that, that, that the idea of, of alternative groups kind of, you know, mm-hmm. alternative societies making a different society. And there's something appealing about that, obviously. And maybe it's, there's so much space and maybe it's, I mean, who knows right. what the reasons are, but, but in our case, like with, with the invitation specifically, you know, we were trying to talk about, or we were discovering, you know, that, that so much of the movie was about how, um, things that have good intentions can slowly turn and turn and turn and turn and become horrific. And they're not intended to be a scam or a trick or a, um, or, or, or luring you into an evil thing. Whereas that's the difference with Silas in, in destroyer as a leader of a group, he has no concern for the Mm. anything but what he wants. He's not, he never, he had no altruistic motives for bringing this group of people together. It's a, it's Mm. a, you know, it's a, it's a criminal gang, but in the invitation, I fully believe that Dr. Joseph in the beginning, he was motivated by he, this profound mission to help people in his eyes, profound mission to address pain and try to make it go away Uh in the most simple, you know, construction of what his mission was. And then it turned and turned and turned and turned until it became, um, you know, what, if there's any statement that we would say, you know, that we say all because we, you know, when you make a, when you make movies that are scary or horrific and terrifying and violent, like for us, at least for Karin, Matt and I, we, we're not nihilists. Like we need right. there right. to be yeah. Yeah. a meaning there. And I think what we, what, what kind of buoyed us when we were making the invitation and then putting it out is saying like, look, you know, it's, if you're going to put something like this on screen, like if we say there's any message to that movie, it's the bottom line is it is unequivocally wrong to hurt someone else because of your idea. That's our statement there. Unless it's a coyote that you hit with your car. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Unless you're trying to help them transcend and get to the other side. (laughs) Just undermine my entire, Yeah. you know, but so like, that's something we think we could, Uh we can get, we can get with, which frankly, not everyone agrees with. So like, if you, if you want to, you know, when we talk about like, you know, as writers, we talk about theme, like someone does define it to me in a way that I really can understood. It's not a message. Mm -hmm. It's a question that has to have, at least two legitimate answers right? Yeah. that people that That's it's not good. just like, you know, something that everyone in the world would immediately agree with when you said, you know, if, cause there are people who wouldn't agree with the statement I just said, I said, mm-hmm. well, sometimes it's necessary to hurt people because of beliefs or ideas and fight a war based on a belief or something like that. Um, and that's why it's something that could be called a theme, I think, you know? Uh huh. Yeah. So I, <laughs> Okay, so there's so much there, and I kind of want to pull back a little bit, too, um, and just ask you, you know, we're talking about the state of movies Mm. 2019, right? Um, I want to ask you where you think Destroyer fits in Mm. what's happening now with movies. So, you know, I mean, for me, it's like, obviously, it's a standout movie in a lot of ways, but also it must fit somehow. It must, like, show up in this moment somehow with everything else. And so can you talk about that a little bit? I I think, I mean, it's interesting. I'm probably, like, the worst person to talk about it in a way. That's exactly (laughs) who I want. (laughs) Um, Because uh, for obvious reasons. Uh, But... I don't know. I think that like, um, what I, what I think 
where I hope it fits is as a just very specific um, modern uh, uh, take on a crime movie, but very specifically a take on a character that we've never seen exactly this way before. And, and that's um, Aaron Bell played by Nicole Kidman, who is, you know, no surprise here. One of the great (laughs) actors that we have Mm -hmm. and truly uh, uh, remarkable. And so I think that in a way, in a way, one place it fits is it's a very female movie. So, I mean, here I am a male talking about it, Mm -hmm. but as part of making the movie, but um, only because Karen was busy today. It's true. She would be here <laughs> for herself. Um, but um, but but I think that's something that people have recognized and that I, I'm, I want them to recognize is that it is a movie mm. that not just on story terms. I think, you know, Tatiana Maslany, who is really wonderful um, and wonderful in the movie, mm. said once at one of our Q&A's that she immediately when she read the script understood the femaleness of it. Of the storytelling uh-huh. in some ways, um, which is a funny thing to say because I think a lot of people look at the movie and, and they they don't associate, um, you know, the specific type of kind of brutality and intensity mm-hmm. and um, and ambiguity with that term that this uh-huh. movie has. But I think that that's what Karin, I think, is really and what Nicole is really interesting in showing is um, a female character who is no, not um, uh, forced to be, you know, as, as I mean, I think that the term is like the Sidney Poitier effect, the idea that right. a woman in, 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 in the Sidney Poitier terms, an African-American character has to be perfect, right. put on the screen in the society, or a female character has to sort of fall into a role of perfection, either a kind of um, kind of perfect badass who's, kind of just tough and impenetrable, but also likable and nice and right, right. To, to, to the right people and mean to the right people yeah. and all that stuff or nurturing at all times, um, kind of sidelined, you know, and then that's obviously none of us had any interest in doing either of those things. And we wanted to try to present a character that felt like not a woman in man's clothing hmm. of, you know, normally when people say normally this would be a character that we played by a man, just that most cop leads are men, and most yeah. I, that, whenever I, I saw people that, saying that to you, I just thought, or, or reviewing it in that yeah. way, I just thought it doesn't read that way to me at yeah. at, at all. I'm glad. Just, yeah. There's like you know moments where, like the 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 experience of powerlessness. Mm. Um, you know, there's a scene, and it's one of my favorites in the movie, where she goes into a club to retrieve her mm. underage daughter, and she's like, "I'm a cop," and they're like, "Do you think and we no fucking care?" Yeah, yeah. And that moment is like. First of all, if that was a dude, like we would probably cheer because we want the guy cop to be like right. like powerless. You right, know what right, I mean? right. Like again, in A Star Is Born, the best scene, one of the best scenes is Lady Gaga punching yeah. him up in the face. You yeah, know? Like, and getting away with what, it. Yeah, what a better version yeah, yeah, yeah. of like radicalizing right. you know, <laughs> an image of radicalizing politics in our moment. But I think like that moment specifically, not that there, there of course there are plenty of movies where the female sort of heroine who is the is the cop or the detective or the you know whatever goes into that place and then like jump kicks more and fluxy like jump mm. kicks everybody knocks yeah, them yeah. all down gets their daughter out but they were just like we don't fucking care right you know so that so there was that and not to just identify the femaleness in the moment mm. of weakness it wasn't it's not just that there's a lot of other things but i think that that's one moment that 
should immediately tell people to not say, oh, well, this normally would have been a guy. Right. No, like, that's, there's nothing that's about a great it. example. No, thank you. Because <laughs> yeah, you I can think, use that in the next interview. I will. I'm going to roll that right into the next one. Um, but, but no, I think that that's, that's true. And I think we, we all strove for that always of, is to try to, there's something that, that this character is a specific woman in a very specific predicament mm. that is greatly of her own making, but also as a result of a world uh, growing up in a world hostile in general to, toward women. Right. And, and that added for us that, that just rang bells in every scene. There's something very, um, there's a scene when she is in the very beginning of the movie, she goes to her FBI mentor, um, and she's sitting in the cafeteria and there's, you know, just this, this kind of other agent or guy sitting at the next table who's just kind of looking disdainfully at her mm-hmm. and there's a meaning to it. And <laughs> and so it made us always ask the questions when we were talking about the movie, like, you know, often in the, in the, you know, to go back to kind of the tropes, like in a, in a, uh, the kind of maverick cop is definitely a, a trope and we never really see her as a maverick because the maverick carries with it kind of more self-determination or, or more, um, She's got a tremendous amount of self-determination, but she, you know, kind of sends it in the wrong direction. But, but there's this idea of, um, you know, oh, everybody looks down on this guy and gives him shit, but in the end, he's really cool. Like, right, right, you know, right. like we really kind of respect him and that's always a him, right? But if she's, when, when there's this kind of quote maverick cop and, uh-huh. and she's a woman, all that disrespect right. seems to pile on in gendered ways. She has like one ally in the entire movie, which yeah. is the guy that looks up the information yeah, yeah. early on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he he and he likes her. You know? So so yeah. So I mean, I think what you're saying is, let me put, put it this way and see if you agree. Is like, you know, as situate this movie, not exactly in identity terms, like. Because that would be like the Ghostbusters thing. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, we have women Ghostbusters yeah. now, right? But instead, which has its own benefits and many problems, mm-hmm. I think, too, that sort of in- inclusion politic. But instead, it's like, what if, you know, we decided to treat patriarchy as a sort of narrative? Mm-hmm. Um, in the same way that we treat realistic literary fiction or social drama as a kind of narrative. And we're saying, let's erode those because those are boring and overused and those are themselves genres. So if I do this instead, if I have Nicole Kidman and this character at the center of a crime movie, we're not doing that anymore. In the same way that like when I see Hereditary, the thing that irritated me was when people were like, oh... It, this transcends horror. This is better. Is it whatever they said about Babadook or Let the Right, right. In? No, no, no. It's not that. It's that this is a movie about oh, the horror of emotional pain. We're saying yeah. I'm going to actually erode the kinds of uh, narratives that you didn't think were genres but really were in the first place and we're controlling the way that we told the story. Yeah. So to me it seems like in that way, that's how it's situated. Just mm. from hearing what you say, I'm yeah. going off on that. No, I think that's a really good way to put it because I think when you talk about um, movies like the ones you just mentioned, it, it's true. There is a sort of like I think inside the horror community, there's like a really like actually um, complicated and and refined understanding of. Uh-huh. Of of you know the understanding that like even the idea of quote elevated horror which is like you know basically come into vogue and people who are really in the horror community saying like well no I mean 
there's no separateness to those movies. Right, right, right. There's no yeah, like, totally. well, it has to be something different to be good if it's a genre movie. Right. It can just be itself and just a good movie because they're already, there's nothing devalued about the label of horror. There shouldn't be. Right. Horror, cop movie, science fiction porn. movie, yeah. porn, whatever. <laughs> like, yeah. right. An artistic <laughs> expression. It doesn't need to be different than the thing it is to be good. Right. right. Whereas there's a certain way of saying, okay, you know, you're in the big leagues now because we're going to consider your movie a drama and not what it right. really is. Right. Because it's like, to me, it's like, uh, you know, no, the French connection is the French connection. It doesn't need to be something different <laughs> right. than a right. gritty cop seventies movie to be one of the greatest movies of all time. You know, like, yeah. um, yeah, well, well, the matrix well, doesn't have to be. It, yes, people are, are you trying to get into it. this with me again. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it doesn't need an overlay of oh no, look at all the like you know yes. crazy philosophical ideas one could get involved with there to just be itself. Yeah, you know. Yeah, well, and I was also thinking like that you know one of the best horror movies of the past like few years is this movie Backcountry. Did you see that? Which I have just, not seen it. No. Oh, it's it's just it's on Netflix. It's amazing. I, I think it was a Canadian filmmaker, and I'll put his or her name in the show notes because I can't remember who made it, but it it's just two campers getting chased by a bear. Like, yeah. and that's it. Straight you know, <laughs> like, yep. I mean, there's a little bit more to it here or there, yeah, but yeah. like, and, and I'm not, you can spin all kinds of like sort of interesting intellectual stuff out of that, but it's not, it's not trying, or it's not quote unquote elevated. Mm -hmm. And yet it's, it yeah, really it just like inspires you to have those these great thoughts. Yeah. 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 No, that's, Exactly. And I think, you know, I think that like the thing that I just love about hmm. all these movies about, about genre movies is how many things it offers. Like it offers hmm. those, those thrills, those like visceral thrills. It offers a chance. Like, I think it's just so interesting as a writer and an to write and an audience to see just human beings put in a very extreme situation uh -huh. at the edges of experience, things that hopefully none of us will ever experience in life, putting you there so that you can kind of go through that, that, you know, that exploration. Like, what would I do? Who, who how would I feel? What, what, um, what would that look like? Um, and, and, and it also can offer you just, it always has to me and everyone's different. Like everyone's inspired by different things. And hmm. for me, I've always been inspired by genre movies where, you know, Alien, for example, such a, one of my favorite movies of all time mm -hmm. and such beyond what it, it's literal story is, is inspired. I mean, obviously it's, they've made many movies since then, but in, even in its being, it just, it, it, it immediately created an entire interesting universe, uh -huh. how this place worked uh -huh. and how, um, you know, these workers were completely screwed by their, their company. Like that's such an interesting yeah, I love that, that thing part, to have yeah. thought about. And that's probably yeah. like one of the keys to why it's so enduring is hmm. it's so human in that level that like, you know, I often would say to people, like sometimes when I talk to other writers and we talk about, um, you know, premise or talk about like how, how you, you create a story. And I was like, you know, alien is really the first, part of it is a documentary about a really shitty workplace <laughs> right. and it feels right. real. Like you really understand the upstairs, downstairs nature of and, the crew and how they deal with each other. And, and yeah, it's the down, it's the town now. It is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But no, but I, but I want to say like, and I think like, 
and I don't think you're saying this, but I just want to point this out. Like, I think what people tend to do to excuse themselves to like horror, mm. but they'll do this with all kinds of art, is say, well, that's what it's about. And to me, it's right. like, no, it's about a fucking alien. As right, well. right. Like, it right. is exactly. Like, like, you can't devalue n- no. <laughs> the, the actual pleasure of in, in Destroyer, for example, it's, it's you know, we, we're hopeful that people take a lot of things from it, but one of the things that we want people to take from it is a shootout that is really hopefully gripping and is thrilling and intense, you know? (laughs) And and you can like twist those things. So like when I'm thinking, I love that I'm bringing up all these Roman Polanski movies, considering what a a figure he is. But I do, I mean, Rosemary's Baby is one of my favorite movies, but one of the ways people talk about that, but probably my favorite movie, Mm. the way people talk about that is like, oh, well, this is about the Red Scare, and witches. Mm. And and I just feel like flipping and saying, how do you know that the Red Scare wasn't about fear of witches? Right, exactly. You can always always turn that, right? And there's no, and there's no, you know, but even, you don't even have to do that mirror work. Like, you can just... You know, you can do both things at the same time. And I think maybe, you know, that's a place to sort of, that's for, for, for me to stop talking and maybe sort of pass it on to you is like, what's something you want people to think about with movies going mm. into this year and beyond? For me, I will say, it's like, try to do both at once. Try yeah. to say like, th- yes, I'm watching an alien kill a bunch of people and I'm paying attention. Like, I can consider that the occasion for which to discuss these workers' rights, labor things mm-hmm. that are going on. And I can also consider, like, what happens when I, to me, when I watch an alien and what's right. happening in this movie with this crazy being with a weird bean-shaped head, you know? Um, so I think that I would say, like, that's the dual work that I mm. I do when I watch movies, I think, automatically at this point. But I would love for people to... You know, especially people who are very theory heavy to not try to reduce movies yeah, to their yeah. theoretical principles. Because I think you're so right that it's a both it's a both and thing. It's like trying to approach things it's pleasurable to approach things in all these different ways. Yeah. And to be able to the thing can hopefully be taken on all those all those different levels. And I think that that's a good that is a good um you know, kind of a, a, a charge for like both making and watching art is to understand, to understand and be open to something being more than one thing, something being mm-hmm. everything, you know, in a way, like mm-hmm. to talk about the character, you know, in destroyer, Aaron is our fondest hope. And again, it's up to other people to determine how well we did it for them. But the, our fondest hope was, to create someone who isn't just one thing, who isn't just a vehicle for this story as a protagonist, but who is, a, you know, a human being living and, and being a, a, as fully rounded a human being as you can present mm. in, in a movie. And, and I think that the idea of moving away from, of thinking of things only in their kind of like really direct utility, like, was that, you know, like you said, does that, What's the meaning? Can I add up the meaning or, you know, in a, in a, in a succinct way and being kind of more interested in the mystery and more interested in the, 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 um, open spaces and the way that it can cause you to kind of think of your own thing. That's, that's what I think, um, uh, that I would, I'm looking for always. And I think going forward, like just that, that the movies that move me very much often do is that they're more than one thing. They're not, Mm -hmm. They're, they're, um, 
their own weird creature and that they have some handmadeness to them, you know, right. both on a literal yeah, and yeah, an intellectual yeah. level. And al- and also, sorry, I saw, I, th- I was going to give you the last word, but now you're like you you're should t- take the you're last too word. In- you're too inspiring. <laughs> uh, you're far too inspiring yeah. to get the last word. Um, <laughs> I, I think that uh, like and don't don't blame the movie for not giving you more than one note sometimes. Cause when I'm thinking of horror or mm. I'm thinking, and, and it's parallel to pornography, which people, they dismiss because they say it's only trying to do one thing. Uh-huh. And I, and I think, well, that you're only able to see it for one thing, right? Right. you know, but actually it's doing a lot of things and there's a lot going on there, including prompting you to think it's only doing one thing. Right. Right. You know? That's part of the thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not making an excuse for all bad movies. Right. I mean, like most art is pretty bad, mm-hmm. but there's an, there's, there's still an availability to you and all of it, you know, that, yeah. that something else can happen there. Totally, right. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank it's you, so Connie. great to talk with that you. Was Finally, so much hang fun. out. Yeah. Thank you. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for thank listening. You. That's a rare. That's such a. Sorry, someone's here. Hold on. <laughs> Time out. Yeah. Hi. <laughs> Real life intrudes. It was the Blair Witch. It was the Blair Witch. I heard you were talking about me and... Um... <laughs> yeah.